Welcome to my Solo 401k Financials podcast. We are excited to have as our guest someone who's an expert in a topic which is of great interest to our clients and people who follow our website. Our guest today is Kaylee McCann. McMahon, excuse me. Uh, Kaylee is, an, is really an expert and successful investor in multifamily investing, syndicated transactions. She's the founder of a website called The Apartment Queen. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kaylee. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, let's dive right into it. Um, I want to, the focus of today, I want to find out just like a little bit more about your experience with syndicated transactions and more about the apartment queen. So maybe you could start us out by just walking through a transaction at a high level. Um, I just actually came up with a flow chart to do that. So at a really high level, um, the transaction part, right? Okay. So once there's a transaction going, uh, we have gotten a letter of intent accepted. And then okay. basically what happens is then we have to go in with uh, our real estate, not sorry, real estate, our SEC attorney, because I syndicate deals. So they're helping us negotiate the purchase and sale contract back and forth. Um, then once we do that and the both sides, both parties agree, then we execute the document and then we're in due diligence at that point. So uh, depending on however many days that you negotiated for a due diligence period, um, typically we do 30, uh, okay. about 30 days to kind of check our assumptions, check our numbers, make sure that everything's okay, make sure that there's nothing under the hood that um, is a surprise that the seller didn't tell us about because uh, that would be the only time in commercial real estate that you could renegotiate. Um, they look at you like an idiot if you walked the property and you saw you know, the roof, the side of the foundation, the walkways, the parking lot. Um, you know, the, the wood walkways, things like that, that are deferred maintenance that you would want to adjust your price for and then right. go back and renegotiate later. They call that retrading in um, commercial and it's normal in residential because I'm also a residential broker, but um, it's not normal in commercial. So um, I to have all that, all your numbers correct and have, and utilize your experience. I was on the phone this morning with somebody who uh, they have a software where basically they could make a very quick quote of uh, using a satellite of exactly what it would cost to fix anything that's wrong with the roof. So that's one of the big four is the roof. Um, and I'm not going to climb up there and go look at it. You just kind of have to look at it from a distance and say, ah, oh, it's about 10 years old. Uh, it looks like crap, you know, whatever. Um, oh, wow. but then again, that doesn't really help you. I had this happen to me where there was a depressed part of the roof that was leaking and mm -hmm. we were buying it the summertime. So obviously no one's going to talk about it, but it was like kind of a big issue. It was a metal roof. So it was expensive. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so now from now on, um, I make sure to have that in there. Plus also I've learned to put a contingency, even in the letter of intent, it's just a couple sentences basically saying that if during inspection, we do find, uh, that the roofs need to be replaced or there's major repairs, um, mm -hmm. that we have the seller agreed to make us beneficiary of their current policy, make a claim. Um, and then we will see the claim through after closing, uh, turning hands. So that way we don't have to renegotiate their price that they think they're getting. That way I don't get screwed out of like having a hole in the roof, you know, and then having it be mold and more and more, more stuff. Uh, yeah. again, so it's, it's hopefully a win-win for both. But, um, once we do the due diligence and we checked our numbers, then we reach okay. back our, uh, already pre-existing relationship list of either already invested investors or people that are interested in getting involved in the next deal and say, Hey, anyone that's interested in a deal that's 200 something units in uh, Dallas, Texas, whatever. 
um, you know, send us an email. So then um, moving forward, I collect all their emails. And uh, when we put together the webinar for the offering, uh, that's when I'll basically reach back out to everyone that was interested and also record it, but um, kind of walk them through the slide deck of um, what the returns are going to look like, um, how long the hold period will be, what kind of debt we're putting on the building, uh, what mm -hmm. percentage of the equity we're offering to the passive investors, um, how to sign the documents, all, all that stuff is all in that presentation. Um, okay. And so then kind of, I could like speed it up basically. Um, we raise the money and then we close and closing. I will say, I'm going to put this out there too. Um, the, the process of raising money um, is pretty easy. If you're a cash person, pretty easy. If you're a solo 401k person, not very easy. If you're an IRA holder and you have, have a policy or not policy, have a, um, if you have a account that hasn't been moved from a custodian to a self-directed custodian. Um, and then there's some other options too, that make it, kind of in the middle of fastness and then some are really fast too, but um, yep. actually one part that, you know, can become really painful for not just me, but also for the investors. So um, we usually end up, and I've actually had to make diagrams recently that I'm using to send to the investors and put on my website. That's like, this is the process of how this works so that they can see the steps and you know, what, what wow. offering documents are going to read and all that stuff. And it's clear, but I, I also, in there, thank you. I also mentioned in there, you know, that um, people miss out on an offering because they didn't uh, have their account set up beforehand. Um, people also, like investors feel stressed and feel extra pressure from us to get their stuff moved over when they've made the decision that they want to invest. And that doesn't really feel great, you know, when you're investing in something and people are pressuring you. We don't like to have to pressure people, but we have deadlines and we have to fund the deal to close on it. And we're counting on that person to be part of the deal. Otherwise, we could have talked to 10 other people who would sure. have able to, to get in there faster. So, um, so that's kind of a pain point for the investor feeling, you know, stressed, rushed, any of that stuff. But then on our end too, as our raises get bigger, like my first raise was like 500 K and then from there, it's gone up now to 8.6 million. You know, when you're, you still have 30 days, <laughs> you still have that small time period. So right. the more you're dealing with the, um, the better systems you need to have and the faster that that process, less friction that you need in that fundraising process. So that's kind of, kind of it. And then once we close, um, again, like I was telling everyone that extensions are common, uh, multiple extensions. We always build those into our contracts because people are like, Oh my God, we didn't close. I'm like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Usually we don't close honestly for another 30 days after we're supposed to. Um, I, I mean, if it's an overfunded deal, we'll close actually early sometimes, but normally it's not, you know, normally people drag their feet or, or whatever. So we're trying to work with people that have accounts that are already ready to go, you know, so they're the ones getting the good opportunities. Um, yeah. but typically not typically, but it is not atypical to have two 15 day extensions built into the contract. We put, okay. forth, we put forth more earnest money to continue to stay in the deal, uh, yeah. which goes to the purchase price. And then basically the individuals that are still like working on moving their money, uh, we can get them in and then we can close. Um, so. Okay. That's great. That's a great, that, let me unpack that a little bit. <laughs> For our, uh, for our clients, they are all using their retirement money. So either solo 401k or self-directed IRA LLCs. Yep. Let me kind of start sequentially. So what are they investing in? Is it a multifamily apartment complex usually? Yeah, if I, I guess I missed that. The, sorry, my name is the apartment queen. So <laughs> yes. okay. uh, apartments is all we do. 
um, and we do it via syndicating the deal. So okay. that's where that raise comes in is there is a manager's entity and then a, yep. a, a um, basically you a property managing? entity. What? Do you manage the properties yourself or is it, do you farm that out? So if somebody is listening to this, it's actually really hard to explain the structure, but now that you're in it or I'm in it, um, the only way to do these deals is to have a third party management company. That's why we try to go 70 doors or bigger on an apartment complex. So the finances make sense, but I do manage them, but I don't manage them like a, like a uh, property manager. The property manager right. has a whole set of skills where they're evicting people day to day, collecting rents day to day. They're running promotional programs. We're doing, they're checking on deferred maintenance or I mean, day to day stuff. Sure. For me, I'm out once two weeks to every month, depending on how close the property is to my house. Um, just making sure our numbers are aligning where they're supposed to any projects we have. Like, uh, I always ask about like capital expenditures, our rents. Um, okay. So you're keeping a close eye on it. Yeah. There's basic stuff that I need to stay on. And if it's not going the right way, then, you know, it's my job to come up with a plan to fix the, the sick business and, and get, get it back on track. Got it. So then, um, what's the, so, so if I want to invest in one of these deals, how do I get on your list? It sounds like I would be on your list. I would get a communication about a potential investment opportunity. I would go to the webinar. And then if I want to invest, I've got a certain period of time to wire the money. Is that pretty much? Yeah. There's, there's some more documents. And that's the other thing too, because there's, there's a lot, again, we do a securitized offering. So this is registered with the SEC. Uh, mm -hmm. security commission so it's something that there's there's a lot of documents so someone that might be coming from like when I used to do single family flips I was trying to get those people to come on board for these and a couple did but a lot actually got freaked out because the, there are a lot of documents there really are but what yeah. that is there's a the main two is the PPM and the operating document the PPM is like a big fixed stack but what it does is it outlines all the risks of the market all the risks of the operating team all the risks of the of real estate in general of the financing of all the different things that it makes it makes sure that everybody that's investing is fully aware of all the risks that could possibly ever happen ever, you know? Um, sure. And then the operating agreement is basically how you're going to see it. It should coordinate with the PPM, but it's who's in charge of what, who's voting on what, who's not voting on what uh, places to look like I did a presentation recently. Like there's some sponsors. That's what we call us. The operators and sponsors who will wipe the investors out of the deal. And so you need to go read in that operating document. Like, once they give you that return, your preferred return, 8%, 9%, do they then pay you out and say bye? Or do they keep you in the life cycle of the deal to make those, you know, 85, 95, 100% returns on sale, which is really the big payday. Um, so anyway, it's important to, to have that document stuff be a part of the process too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> not so legally wire money until that's filled out until we have it on record. So, so for example, if I want to invest 50,000, it, under one scenario, I'm buying a membership interest in that LLC. And then if, when the deals, if you ultimately sell the property, then I get not only the stream during the life of the time that we owned it, but also all the upside when we sell it. Right. But yeah, you're, you're an owner. you like as a the plan sponsor have the option to say, okay, as soon as I made X amount of money, now you get all, you know, you're out of it. And now I'm going to get all the upside. Is that right? The only if it says that in the documents, that's not how I run my business. But I was just saying, some people. That's do, you run. Okay. Some people do a, a really low ex equity split too. They'll do like 40, 60, 50, 50, whatever. We do a 75, 85, 
uh, percent of the equity of the project available to limited partners. So our passive investors, as people call them. So you own part of every deal? Yes. Yeah, we have to put in, or we decide to put in about 10 to 16% of the amount we need to raise as a man okay. we put it in. We call it skin in the game. Skin in the game, exactly. So how much, what's the minimum amount, if I want to invest, if I've got a solo 401k, and I want to touch on what you talked about in some of the details, I, I thought that was really interesting. If I want to invest in one of your transactions, is there a minimum amount that I need to invest? It depends project to project, like how big that raise is. Um, so for example, worst case, on our Houston project, uh, that was that $8.6 million raise. Um, we did 100K to start off minimum because it was just such a big, I mean, that's like what, 80 people, 86 people, that's, that's a lot. So right. imagine if we took smaller chunks, how much more work that would be and et cetera. So um, smaller deals that I've done, like my first deal, which mm -hmm. I'll, I'll never do one that small again, because again, lessons learned about, you know, having the proper staff and professional systems in place, that it yep. just is not, yeah, it's economies of scale are great. So right. um, that one was 25K, but yes, the industry average typical is about 50K. 50K, okay. And then how, what's the time when I would get, like when would I start to get money back to my account? How long until you sell? You know, like when do I get my money? How long should I be committed to this investment? Yeah, so that's all disclosed in the private placement memorandum. And that- But a will typical, like a typical transaction. Well, as we know, uh, COVID just happened. And so everything has changed. So as far as the way that I underwrite rent growth, the way that we underwrite um, a potential market, the way that we underwrite even uh, now ta uh, ta not taxes, uh, insurance that's changed. Um, there's certain parts of that underwriting that's all changed. So again, sometimes that messes with our projected timeline. For example, I'll give you one really like, really easy to understand concept. The lending has now changed where they ask us to have an excess of reserves. Um, so we always have a reserve requirement, but usually it's like 250 to 350 per unit. Right now, it is, depending on if you're Fannie, Freddie, CMBS, bank debt, depends on what you are, or not, not bank debt, sorry, any of the non-recourse, which is what you want, because if it, everything, if, if there's a problem, it ne they never come back after you or after the sponsors. Uh, it just right. goes back to the bank. It has to be non-recourse if it's, uh, there can never be recourse against a 401k or IRA. Right. So a non-recourse deal is, is a good deal, but um, yeah. totally lost track of what I was going to say. Um, Just the reserve requirement, COVID. Wow. The reserve requirement changed a lot, a lot, a lot. So now it's, um, depending on if it's CNBS, Fannie Freddie, I, I'm not going to get them straight. I have it in a document so I can, when I'm doing offers, I can like look at it because it changes every week and for the last two weeks, it stayed the same and we'll see what will happen. But um, the reserve requirement had changed to that, that normal reserve requirement. In addition to that, they wanted another um, six to 18 months worth of P&I, uh, principal and interest. Even if you didn't have principal due yet and you were just interest only, they want that amount set aside in a separate escrow account where you can't even wow. touch it. You can't wow. use it for renovations. You can't use it for, for nothing. So oh. then certain requirements to get it back. And those certain requirements depend on your debt service coverage ratio. Uh, they depend on your collection of your rents. They depend on certain things over a certain period of time. And then they'll let you have it, but it's like another six months, year. It's, it's nuts. So we have to raise more money. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in, in the, on the back end, if we're picking a good project, which we, we are, it's, it's occupied. Um, we'll be able to uh, add occupancy or get better occupants in. So that will be released eventually. And so that will just go back out to everybody in the project. 
but it just now they're asking us to have an additional requirement um, for reserves. So that changes the amount that we raise. So that may change the amount of our minimums. That may change the amount of projections for the time of hold. And here's why, because we've gotten a little creative. So you have those reserves aside. Normally those would be for renovations, right? So we, yeah. the first thing you want to do when you take over a property, we do value add. So it's something that's like good, good, good bones, good community, but yeah. it's not being taken care of. And there's so much potential there. So we will take the property. And the first thing you do is all the outside stuff. So you change the curb appeal, you change the signage, you change the online presence, uh, you change the tenants that are uh, a problem first. Uh, you basically change the um, reputation of the property and, okay. and all that. So normally that's, I mean, we could get that done, I would say, within the second month we start that stuff. Now, not so much. Now we need to sit and wait and basically right. just make sure that um, the rents just keep getting collected and all that stuff is stable. Um, uh -huh. so, so, yeah, that would elongate the period for the hold because normally we get it knocked out in 12 months. Normally we have that value add period. And now it's looking at minimum of 18 months or longer. So normally we, we hold these deals long answer to your question, but I just want people to understand that we're not just like doing it just because there's reasons, you know? So normally right. three to five year hold is what we put in there, which is like worst case. Now it's closer to like five to seven, uh, depending on the deal. So certain deals like have such a high, uh, cash flow, like above the mortgage that we can actually get past needing those escrows. Or if we lever a deal 55, uh, 50, 55, 65%, just now increased to 65%. It was 50 when COVID hit. But if you leverage a deal as low as uh, 65 or as high as 65%, then you don't need those escrows. But a lot of the times whenever you do the, um, that process uh, of having less cash, uh, the, the least amount of cash that you use to go into a deal, the higher your returns are. So with, with lower leverage, the returns go down too. So it's kind of, you got to play with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Wow. That's uh, this is great information, Kaylee. I really appreciate you sharing. Um, and I know on your website, we don't have, I don't want to spend, take too much more of your time, but I know on your website, you got all kinds of other information. There was like guides to how to review an offering document, all that good stuff. Yep. So that stuff. And uh, we just uploaded, if you don't know how to underwrite, and want to kind of see with your own eyeballs what I'm talking about. It's kind of complicated, but we have a page on the site that is uh, Carolina, who is our underwriter. She developed her own underwriting software. And so now that's available um, through that page. And then you can even do coaching calls with her too. If, um, if you don't, if you don't get it after you've gone through the video. Okay, cool. Yeah. So definitely. And what's your website address? Uh, www.theapartmentqueen.com. <laughs> All right. So let me get some quick hitters in there. So do I have to be an accredited investor to invest? No. Okay. Um, let's touch on the retirement money. So you talked about IRA can take a long time. So it's not self-directed yet. Yeah, exactly. Maybe like you, it might take you three or four weeks to be able to get access to that. Money. Four weeks. Yeah. It's nuts. Cause the person has to like bug them and they don't want to let go of that money. But it's finally, oh, yeah. finally let it go. And then the check freaking, except for one company pretty much that I've worked with, most of them send a physical check to your house. And then you right. have like weekends and all that stuff. And you got to physically grab your check and bring it over to the custodian. Hopefully they're local in town and you don't have right. to mail it in. <laughs> and yeah. then you put a hold on that check because they want to verify funds are real. So that's like another five day hold. And yeah. then yeah, there's, there's more. So 
with us, with our, uh, what we offer is an IRA LLC. So this, if you've got it all set up, it's just like the solo 401k where the investor, the client has checkbook control over their money. So they have an IRA that owns an LLC, which would then be an investor in this investment. And I've had a couple of those investors and they just, I mean, it, it's, it's checkbook IRA. Like they write their own check and it's yep. done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the beauty of it. Um, Texas, that's where you do most of your investing? Most, yes. We, uh, we do have one deal in Phoenix. And then I've got two partners in Jacksonville. We have not been able to find anything there for like two years. That uh, isn't overpriced. So we're still looking, but for now, Texas and Phoenix. Anything you would say to somebody who is like uh, just getting into real estate investing? They're not like they want to just do a single family. Or they want to do like a small multifamily. Any, any words of wisdom? I would ask them why. Like that's the first thing I ask is, is why, why is that your option or why do you want to do that? And most of the time it's, it's the same. Like if you've read rich dad, poor dad, like I did, that was how you kind of flip your brain. I mean, there's probably other books, but that was mine and most people's where you're like, Oh, I need four houses to get the big red hotel. Well, I always knew I wanted the big red hotel, which is an apartment. Right. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but um, it, I wanted the bigger thing and I wanted the bigger thing. Cause in my mind, I didn't go through the details quite yet, but for me, I'm very passionate about creating independence for women um, and right. being able to do that for myself with passive cash flow. So whether you're a passive investor, an active investor, uh, whatever it is, that was my end game. So you're able to make a lot more passive cash flow through a larger building than a smaller building. And uh, again, economies of scale free up capital and time. Uh, and time is, is something we don't have a lot of. So I also knew eventually I wanted to be doing this from a beach you know like I didn't want to have face-to-face -face meetings I don't want to coach people I don't I just want to uh, utilize my real estate to I was like mm, I don't know how many units I'll have but can I donate like a floor you know to people that are kind of getting back on their feet can I how do I leverage that business to then um, do, do some charity work that's really important to me so I already knew my timeline and I knew the bigger that I went the faster this would go so to me that made sense. And I did used to think, okay, yeah, I'll live in one half of the building, rent out the other half. And that's right. fine. But again, we only have so much time, so much energy. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you could lose your leg. I don't know. And so if you're sitting in a place saying, okay, I'm going to wait for two years to go by until I can get into my four unit. And then regardless, all this stuff, like the big key here that people don't understand, and I'm surprised actually is they're like, well, you know, how do I get into, um, um, they don't understand that, that normally the DTI or the debt to income ratio and their credit is what primarily just in their income is what primarily like will say yes or no. Can I get into a one, two, three, four unit property? Well, when you go five, six, seven and above, um, it's now based on the income of the property, not you. It doesn't matter what you do. It's about the property. So um, they base it on that. And yes, you have to have a minimum score. It was 650. It could have changed now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you got to have a minimum score and a minimum net worth. So for example, if you're taking down a deal that's, you know, like my first one was, uh, 645, 47K, I think is what it was. And so at the time my net worth needed to be larger than that. And it wasn't. So what did I do? I found a partner and basically it was just someone that signed on the line of the loan, especially if it's a non-recourse loan, which actually I think 
the lowest you can do is 750. So you have to have it like 751 or higher for your buy. Um, but then it's non-recourse uh, if Annie Freddie has small balance loans for that stuff. So um, that sign or like if, if you screw everything up, they don't go back after them. It just goes back to the bank. So right. you're able to do a, a larger deal, make bigger money. And again, economies of scale, you can buy things in bulk and then uh, store them and then use them as you need them. And you're not, you know, you're, right. you're getting one roof, one foundation. You know, you're not having a, yeah, yep. five closings, five plumbing systems. Like, no. Uh, yeah. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. So that, so another uh, maybe final question here before we can, that you can repeat how people can contact you, et cetera. Just talk a little bit more about the apartment queen. Cause you talked about how it's, um, you know, you focus on helping female investors as a father of a daughter that, uh, sounds great. So maybe you could spend a moment on that. That's really cool of you. Um, and I've kind of found that, um, for me personally, um, dating people, I've been single for a long time. So for me, um, a real man is someone that thinks women are awesome. You know what I mean? I grew up with the opposite. And so now I've had to unlearn all of that. That's not okay. That's not normal. And men that think women are no less than they are. And they actually want to help us to like Warren Buffett says this all the time. Like, could you imagine what the planet would be like if we utilized the 50% of us that we're not fully utilizing right now? Like it would be amazing. Uh, women yeah. have so many different skills that are different than men and complementary if you put them together. So I could go on forever. But for me, again, you know, being able to use real estate to create passive cash flow and then being able to like for me, I mean, I like some nice stuff. Don't get me wrong. But for me, I think right this second, not next month, it'll change a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm working on getting the deal so hard right now. Um, I don't really care, you know, about where I live, what I live in, like all this kind of stuff. I want to live below my means. So for me, just enough cash coming in consistently that covers my monthly expenses and maybe a little bit over, you know, to, to put some savings aside or whatever, like that's, that's all I need. But property is awesome too, because you can actually then go back in and leverage it. So we go back in and cash out refi. So like, for example, at a property that I'm going to go cash out refi, and I'm going to pull uh, money out of it to fix plumbing issues that we've had. And so that's all going to increase the value of the property too. doing that. Um, right. And then leftover cash. I'm going to go use that on a down payment on another thing, you know, so then you can keep leveraging it up and then you can 1031 exchange when you sell that property and not pay taxes on that gain and roll it into a larger property. So you just, you just naturally will expand and you naturally will therefore make more cash flow and um, have more independence. So you just have to get started. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And it all starts with mindset. So I'm developing an app right now that maybe won't be ready until Christmas time, but it goes through modules of somebody who um, understands that there's, it's, it's meant for women. Men can use it, of course, but uh, it's mostly if a guy's going to use it, they have to actually like take a, a pledge that they're going to teach a, a daughter, sister, wife, uh, aunts, some woman in their life, what they're doing while they're investing. Because as a kid, um, my adopted dad did invest in the stock market but would like lock his door so I couldn't go into the office and uh, learn about it and I, I was I was like six seven eight I wasn't going to be a crying kid I could learn but right. I never knew to this day I don't know much about the stock market except for I watch how volatile it is and go okay well like maybe it's not that bad that I didn't right. know about it so um but being able to have people have the information in front of them 
It was yeah. a, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. It was a Merrill Lynch and then picked up by another company's study that they did in 2019, actually, about the wage gap between men and women. And women cite the reason that they don't own as much property as men. And the reason that they don't invest as much as men besides the wage gap is also because that they, um, they, they cite a lack of knowledge. It's like 61% of women surveyed cite a lack yeah. of knowledge. I'm like, well, man, if I can create an app where you could literally log in, first you got to work on your mindset. So it's a lot about, you know, what you put out there is what you get back. How you treat people is how you're going to be treated. Like get people to kind of like love themselves and believe themselves. There's like even like a psychologist that's going to be in there, all this stuff. You can like phone a friend, you know, and go yeah. use that. And then the next modules go through like different asset classes and real estate pros, cons, mistakes people have made. And then it walks you through what documents look like and then kind of kicks you out to the real world where you can then go look at, you know, private and public offerings that are out there and invest if you want or whatever. But hopefully that makes it like a, a like, like a little class, you know? <laughs> that's great. No, that's, I mean, thanks so much for sharing. You've been so generous with your experience and your information. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. I agree. It's all about that information. Um, so how can people follow you, find out about the app? What should they do? Sure. So right now in the app, we're in, uh, I guess, beta testing. So if you want to test it, just let me know. My uh, email is admin at theapartmentqueen.com. Um, Cause the more people that like, I mean, we got to be really critical of it. It's, it's, we got the back end working, but it's not animated yet. So you can log in and you can see where things are and it, it like, but it's not functional and I don't have cartoons that are like rotating and I want these like 3d things and, but you can test okay. it. Anyway, admin at theapartmentqueen.com. Um, if you're interested in learning more about um, the multifamily industry in general, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can probably look up Kaylee McMahon or the apartment queen. And there's quite a bit on 1031 exchanges, how they work. Uh, I've done some uh, interviews of property managers, uh, female brokers, um, just the whole gamut of different people in my industry. So whether you want to be active passive, there's information there, uh, including kind of how I underwrite a market, uh, the underwriting spreadsheet, you do have to go through the site to, to get that. But um, then even on the site, there's, there's blogs that kind of go through my daily stuff. Okay. And then on Instagram, um, I'm on TikTok too, but not cool enough yet. Like I have yet to use that content enough. I'm all over LinkedIn, but yeah, I'm all over as much as I can be pretty much. Just like okay. Google my name. Awesome, Kaylee. Well, thank you so much. So thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay.